Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I am so excited for you to hear this episode. This conversation with Nate Holdridge I think is going to be so encouraging, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a young Christian, I think the principles here are so valuable and I think I, I just was so blown away and blessed by Nate's wisdom. And this whole episode really was birthed out of an article that Nate wrote for CalvaryChapel.com that I just found to be so helpful. So I thought there's probably no better way to start this episode than by just letting Nate read the article to us. So that's going to be the first 10 minutes of this episode, and then we'll get into the conversation after that. Thanks for listening, and here's Nate. The Anonymity of Pastoral Work In our modern age, talk of pastoral work as anonymous work seems like a stretch. Maybe the pastor in a rural town on a dusty road is anonymous, but pastoring seems to be about as public as you can get these days. We live in a time when pastors are out front, obvious, visible. Many encourage us to leverage social media to minister to people at best or build a platform for ourselves at worst. I mean, we live in the age of the celebrity pastor. So how can pastoral work ever be anonymous? And even if you push aside the deadly traps of fame and notoriety, isn't the pastor of the smallest church in the smallest town on the smallest country road still a public figure? He might not be known the world over, though with an internet connection, what's stopping him? But he's a known figure in his community. It's true. We have to acknowledge that pastoral work is public work. People know us. But what I want to say here is that embracing anonymous aspects of pastoral work is a healthy antidote to the temptations and pressures that the public nature of pastoral work brings. For this, I want to utilize the image of the farm that Paul often employed. For instance, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7 to 9, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul used this truth to combat the divisiveness in the Corinthian church, division caused, at least in part, by a partisan loyalty to personalities. Some said they were on Team Paul or Team Apollos or Team Cephas or even, for the ultra-spiritual, Team Christ. To defend against this immaturity, Paul employed the image of the field and the farmer. He saw the church as God's field, God's building. And those who tended the field, men like Apollos, Peter, and himself, were mere workers employed by God. The only one in the equation that Paul considered to be something was God himself. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. The pastor or apostle or evangelist is, in Paul's mind, a mere footnote to the work God is doing. 
God is the one giving the growth, and he uses various servants to cultivate his field so he can produce a crop. This means that good pastoral work has a tinge of anonymity. Like farmers tending a landowner's field, we do work that is often unseen. We are there for the service of the field, and we cannot produce fruit on our own. is often anonymous in that so much of pastoral work is unseen. The farmer arises before dawn and works in the solitude of his field with a bountiful table in his mind's eye. And the pastor labors in the quiet of his study and in private conversations with an aim toward fruitfulness. In the stillness, he envisions Christ-honoring sermons, devoted disciples, and strong corporate worship. He longs for fruit, and like the good farmer, he is willing to work hard outside the spotlight of the church for the good of the church. In his long-form poem, The Farm, Wendell Berry, himself a farmer, wrote, You will work many days no one will ever see. Their record is the place. For many a pastor, the record of our work is hard to quantify. What have we accomplished? What have we done with our minutes and hours, days and weeks, years and decades? For Barry, the fact the farm still exists is the record of the farmer. Without his tending and care, the farmlands would be overrun by the wildness of nature. And for many pastors, the record of their work is not bound up in books written or podcasts recorded, but in the presence of the little local church they serve. Its existence is the record, and God sees it. This must be a comfort to the pastor who has tired himself with the ingloriousness of the calling. Boldly declaring the word seems appealing to anyone, but what about the hours of study and preparation? Making a real difference in people's lives sounds great, but what about the betrayals and accusations that inevitably arrive? Leading a group of God's people to greener pastures looks invigorating, but what about the resistance and apathy that slows all progress? These unseen and often unreported facets of the pastoral life require a farmer-like persistence, a willingness to toil through the weeds and pests and hard soil that is bound to come. In the dark, unseen, the pastor must work. Pastoral work is also often anonymous in that the church is more important than the pastor. Christ's unfathomable love for his church should stimulate the pastor to take a back seat to the beauty of Christ's bride. He is not of more importance than the church, but is instead part of the very church for whom Christ died. He knows that the people belong not to the pastor, but to God. They are the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100, verse 3. The good pastor knows that Jesus died to create the church for himself, not to create ministry for the pastor. The good farmer serves his fields in a similar way. 
knowing that he exists to aid the field. My previously mentioned poet, Wendell Berry, also wrote many novels. In one of them, while describing a model farmer in a small town, he wrote, he was the farm's farmer, but also its creature and belonging. He lived its life and it lived his. He knew that of the two lives, his was meant to be the smaller and the shorter. Any pastor worth his salt has a similar perspective. He wishes more for the endurance of his church than the endurance of his teachings. He would rather the churches he pastored go on to further fruitfulness than his books or podcasts or teachings go on after he retires. He knows that between his life and the churches, his is meant to be the smaller and shorter. So the good pastor awakens to this truth. He is there for the success and health of the church. The people are not there to serve his needs, build his platform, or support his ministry. He is there to serve and build up and support them. He is not an influencer with followers, but a follower of Christ because he's been influenced by Christ. And like a good farmer knows he belongs to the field, the good pastor believes his life is not his own, that he's been bought at a price and that his God has placed him in his field to work intended. Pastoral work is also often anonymous because no pastor produces results all by himself. What I mean here is that when credit is doled out for spiritual growth in a person's life or salvation in another's, a pastor can never claim the credit as his own. Even in the rare case that no one else is involved, it is the spirit who gets the job done. So the plowman and the thresher work together in the hope of sharing in the crop. And a good pastor works with others with the aim of reaping harvests for God's kingdom. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We are all working together as one and each will receive his wages according to the work he's done. We are God's fellow workers. Can we not understand this in our modern age? People bounce from city to city and church to church. It's becoming rarer to find anyone over the age of 20 who has only been part of one local church. And as people move from pastor to pastor, teacher to teacher, emphasis to emphasis, congregation to congregation, book to book, and podcast to podcast, planting and watering occur. Just because you are the pastor who most recently, quote, crushed it and helped them along in their walk does not mean you got them from point A to wherever they are today. You are merely one messenger among many who God has employed to care for his field. And though many bemoan the ultra accessibility of various pastors and Bible teachers the world over, who among us wasn't replaced during the pandemic's online church days by at least some in our congregation, perhaps we should celebrate it more than we do. 
Perhaps it can beat down into our brains that we are merely another anonymous worker tending our little row in God's field for God's glory. And this farming perspective is a gift that rescues pastors from the holy man syndrome that tells us we must be the hero of the story. No, we are merely working the dirt, tending the crop and reaping the harvest. And as we willingly embrace the anonymous and unglamorous nature of the work, our Father in heaven smiles, knowing he has found in us men who have gotten the point. As Wendell Berry said, before you start each day, the place is as it is. And at the day's end, it is as it is, a little changed by the work, but still itself, having included you and everything you've done. And it is who you are, and you are what it is. Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Salvato, and I'm joined today by my friend, Nate Holdridge. How's it going, man? Hey, Aaron. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. It is so good to have you, Nate. You are a blessing, man. You're an encouraging, uh, an encouragement is what I meant to say. (laughs) You're an encouraging man is what I meant to say. Uh, I've always appreciated your work and your heart. Nate's the lead pastor over at Calvary Monterey. He just told me 15 years, right? Yep. My first year was 2008. Started Easter Sunday, 2008. I was 29, almost 30 years old at that point. And so, yeah, I'm 44 today and the Lord's blessing the church. Uh, we've gone through lots of different seasons, as I'm sure many of your listeners understand over the last few years, but God is blessing the church. We're in a good spot and I hope for many more years here in Monterey. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, in 2008, I had just gotten out of Bible college and I had a very horrendous Paul McCartney haircut. So, uh, good times. We've both come a long way. Right. Yeah. There you go. Um, well, thank you, man, for your, your work and your heart. And that heart of a pastor is a huge part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on the episode today, because in my role here at CGN, one of the hats I wear is I oversee our editorial process. And so I'm working with different pastors who are writing articles for us for calvarychapel.com. And you wrote one that I was just so stinking blessed with, man. That was the animity of pastoral work. And it just, it blessed me so much, man, because I, in this season of my life, feel that so strongly that the challenge of that and, and navigating what that looks like. And I have so mm. many friends who are in that place. And so thank you for writing it, man. What, what, what inspired it? What inspired you to write that article? I, you know, for me, honestly, there's a quote in the article from a book called Jaber Crow by the novelist Wendell Berry. And I'd started falling in love with some of his novels. And Wendell Berry, he comes from a farming background. Mm. And so he's, he's very in tune with, and you pick up in his literature, he's very in tune with the radical change that has occurred in American farming since basically around World War II. The the invention of these big tractors that would come in and just do things differently than they used to be done. Mm. 
And in when you read his novels, you just come away with this impression like, wow, there there used to be a way of farming that was so in touch with the earth and so mm. small and organic and involved. And there was like a relationship between the farmer and the field. And he just does a great picture painting his opinion, which is that it's lost that romance in mm -hmm. modern times, you know, and that the goal is as big as I can get as much fruit as I can get. Yeah. And the focus in his opinion shifted from, you know, sustenance and basic provision and a good way of life into money and capitalism and making as much as you can and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not here to weigh in <laughs> on whether or not, he, you know, he's accurate in his assessment of farming. That's not my area of expertise, but the way he talked about a farmer's relationship with the field, it was probably the best commentary that I had read on some of those passages of scripture that do the same thing. Mm. You know, for instance, the parts there in first Corinthians where Paul is talking about the Lord's field and Paul and Apollos as the workers in that field. So that inspired me, just kind of got my brain going. And then, mm. you know, just thinking through like, man, we just live in a time where a lot of pastors become, I think, discontent yeah. when they're not well known, but most of us aren't. So right. <laughs> let's embrace it and rock it. I love, I love that. Embrace not being known. <laughs> embrace the yeah. smallness. That's beautiful, man. So Wendell Berry, when he wrote that, was he making an analogy about pastoral work or is that lines that you're drawing? No, not at all. The The best I can tell is that He's Wendell Berry was probably, yeah, and he was probably, I mean, he talks about the Lord quite a bit in his books, just through the characters that mm. are in there and their, mm. their interactions with the church and that Jaber Crow book, for instance, it's really, really interesting because Jaber himself as a character deconstructs, mm. but he does it back in the like fifties and sixties. So I, I get the sense that that's probably where Wendell Berry is coming from. I think he wrote the book in like 2000 or something like that. Mm. So it's not a Christian book or anything. It's just well written. It's a well written story. Mm. But that analogy just kind of connected for me to the things of the Lord and, yeah. you know, pastoral work. say it right off the bat it is so encouraging like i i'm just so glad that you're here to talk about this concept for a whole episode because i think it's life-giving to people in ministry mm -hmm. i can just very briefly from my own uh story with it i i can just share how the the burden of being more than just than just a pastor, right? Quote unquote, just a pastor. I, I think it can be crushing. I mean, I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was running a youth group that was probably around 30 to 40 kids. And, you know, I thought that was small because I heard about the guys that ran the youth group at my church in the previous generations. And it was always like, oh yeah, they they had a hundred kids, you know, they had 120. And then we were in town with the biggest church in town or, or no, one of the biggest churches in America, North coast with Larry Osborne. And they were in our area and their, their youth group was so big. They had a different youth group for every grade. 
like sixth grade had its own youth group. Seventh grade had its own <laughs> youth group with like full band and lights and everything. And I just remember there was always this pressure because I would hear senior pastors talk about their, you know, how big is your church? You know, how big is your flock? And and it was always this idea that if you weren't doing more to market yourself and promote yourself, because it's like you have this gift, you have this calling, you know, you're you're a preacher. So you need to build the platform and build the influence. And 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 I would hear those things and pick up on those things. And it just there was always this weight, like this crushing weight. And, and for me there was this pivotal moment where I feel like God spoke to me and was like, don't try to be more than what I've called you to be. Like just, just minister to the the flock that is in front of you, tend the garden yep. that I've given you, you know? And, and that was so freeing. But I feel like, I feel like so many people struggle with this mentality of feeling like they need to be more and do more than just straight up pastor <laughs> the people mm-hmm. around them. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's, got to be some part of our western developed kind of culture mm. you know we we you know love the idea of the entrepreneur we love the mm. idea of the business minded person that's building something and i think that seeps into our church work quite often but the reality is the person that you're ministering to in that moment they don't care at all yeah. about how big your thing is yes. you know that's not the thing. and and if they do they're, they've got their eyes on the wrong thing anyways. True. You know, if, if that's, if that's where you're getting your capital to be able to minister to somebody is the fact that you've got a lot of followers on Instagram or that you've got a broad platform, that's the wrong stuff for them to be following anyways. You know, you, Eugene Peterson, I, I love, he talks in his book about called working the angles. He talks about the subversive pastor mm. and how, when one of the things that we're doing, and I don't know if you feel this way, but for me, I agree with it. I feel that we're part of this developed Western system where so many of our people have these values of fame and yeah. success and making a name for yourself and all of that. And it's almost like what, what Peterson says is, as a pastor, it's hard to come out and just rebuke that stuff directly <laughs> because you kind of get written off. Yeah, yeah. But you just slowly and subversively show them another way yeah. that, look, it's not about that stuff. It's not about the it's not about fame. It's not about book sales. It's <laughs> not about all of that stuff. It's about God's called me to minister to his people. And I want to do that to the best of my ability. My, my prayer personally, you know, because it's like, there's an element of truth in all the things that you're, that these guys are, have been saying, you know, like, Hey, let's, you've got a gift and you want to be a good steward and you want to reach as many people as possible. There's truth in all of those statements. But for me, I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, I want to, I want to be as fruitful as I can possibly be. I want to bear as much fruit as I can handle. Yeah. So if, if I am the kind of, cause we all know people who in the name of the Lord have just gotten weird yeah, because yeah. they were quote unquote successful and lots of people liked them. And then they just got odd as a result. And yeah. one of my big like, goals in life is to not get weird. I just don't (laughs) want to go there. I'd like to just be a normal person who loves the Lord. And if by being more fruitful, 
I succumb to the temptation of just being a weirdo. <laughs> I'm not into it. I just don't want to go there. So I only want the Lord to give me what I can handle. And if that means a small field or a medium sized field or a large field or varying degrees at different seasons of my life and ministry, I want to be happy with that and satisfied with that. And I think it's important because part of the reason it's important is because most churches are in that mm. 75 to 150 people membership range. Yeah. But that's not what we would conclude if we just took a quick survey of YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or right. whatever the next thing is. Yes. We would conclude, no, most churches must be in that three to 5,000 person range. <laughs> and what do I got to do to get that kind of right. sway or leadership or traction or whatever? And we, if, if we're going to get the job done, we got to have lots of farmers yes. content with small farms doing the work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's beautiful. Uh, I want to go back to your, your thing about not wanting to be weird. I don't know you that well, <laughs> but so far, Nate, in my book, you're not weird. There's some people right. I classify as weird. You're, you're not one of the weird ones. You're, you're pretty steady, man. And, and, uh, you know, I appreciate you because I think that you do have somewhat of a platform, you know, you've written books and you've written blogs. And I know a lot of people personally that have told me they appreciate you. You know, I, I've, I've spoken, you know, at different churches and traveling around and I talk about, you know, the Calvary movement with other churches and your name has come up in conversations very positively, but I love, I, I think you really do have a humility. You know, you're even coming to me at times in my role at CGN and like, Hey, like I've got this book. Is it okay if we like make a post about it? I don't want to like pressure you guys or step on to like you've never been demanding you've never been like hey i'm this big shot you've always been so kind and humble about it so i appreciate you the way that you model that so definitely not weird if you ever get weird i'll let you know and you can do the I same appreciate for me that. <laughs> thank you <laughs> but uh you know the, the other thing too i, I want to really ask you about is that idea of you know like farmers and fields and we've got some fields that are small and some fields that are medium sized and some fields that are big. Do you think there's any need for us in leadership positions who can encourage other people to point out like a small field doesn't mean a lesser field? Like I, mm. I always think of, you know, that story of, you know, the, the shoe salesman, you know, who's leading a Sunday school class, Edward Kimball. And he, uh, I, he has a guy, I think DL Moody was like one of the kids in his Sunday school class and he witnesses to Moody and Moody gets saved. And then it like the chain continues on of, of people influencing other people. And then you get to Billy Graham and it's like pointing out all these very small, just little Sunday school teachers at their churches running their little classrooms. But because of their faithfulness, like the kingdom of God is built in this big way. And so I, I, I just think it's important to, to point out like in God's kingdom, it's, it's not necessarily big fields and small fields. It's just, it's just like, it's just fields. I don't know if that makes sense though. What do you, yeah. what do you think? No, I love that. I mean, that, that fits with the agrarian kind of angle that, you know, the church is described with at times because what is fruit? Well, fruit has within it the capability of reproduction, right? right. Most fruit has seed whereby more fruit could come and grow. And you never know what apple is going to go into the ground and plant another apple tree. And the idea is, hey, let's be faithful wherever God has placed us. And you got to trust the results to him. Like Paul said 
about him and Apollos, you know, one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. We're all mm. kind of working together here. And you're right. It is just God's field. Yes. So singular is right. the idea. It's not like, yeah. oh, my field has to be the best field because I have to save the world. That That's the thing I always try to remember. The analogy that I use with young guys, I, I talk to a lot of young guys that want to be pastors and they just right away, this American corporate numerical mentality gets drilled into their brains. And what I try to remind them is the hard lesson I had to learn which is like, hey, you could be in a town. Let's say you're in a town and there's a thousand people that God wants to reach. If you put the pressure on yourself to reach all 1000 people, like you're going to break yourself. But if instead you're like, OK, I am a part of what God is doing, like I'm not the whole hand, I'm a thumb and God is going to use the other fingers as well. And so if he uses my church to reach 100 people and then these churches to reach 200 and 300 and this church to reach 400, by the end of the day, the 1,000 people God wants to reach, they're going to get reached and he's going to use the body of Christ to do it. He's going to use everybody to do it. It's it's not my job to save the world. It's just my part to step in and be a part of the the world saving that he's doing. And and that doesn't mean that we should be complacent and just like not try. I think we should try to make a difference and we should go above and beyond as pastors. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I think like being able to rest and just trust that God is doing the work and he's going to use us how he wants to use us. I think that takes a lot of the yeah. the pressure off, you know. And those hundred people that God's entrusted to you for that season, mm. They're just there for that season. Mm. You know, you're going to probably more than likely, statistically speaking, just be one mm. in a long line of pastors and leaders and yes. men and women who are pouring into their lives. At the end of the day, who is ministering to them? Mm. Well, it's God by his Holy Spirit ministering through his people mm. to his people. So I just try to have a mentality like, well, I, I don't know how long I've got this person. Monterey is a very transient place. Mm. So I might have somebody for six months. I might have them for a year, but I want that year in their lives with me to be a year that's a real highlight in their yeah. walk with the Lord, where they really learned about him. They saw his grace. They had a real in expanded vision of who Jesus is mm. in their lives. And to mm. me, that's just the way to the way to do ministry. You know, I, I love those days when I meet people in our church. I love, I love when I get two contrasts in the same day where I'll meet someone who says to me, you know, I've never been to a church that is this big. <laughs> and then right after it meet someone who says, I've never been to a church that's this small. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> because I, I will have those same conversations, you know, where someone will just say like, I'm just having a hard time knowing people or familiarizing myself here because I can't know everybody. And then someone else who's come from a real big church, a mega church, who's like, man, I've, I've never been a part of something so little and so, you know, I'm sure in their mind, they're thinking poorly produced, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I love that because it just kind of it, it it's like you never know what somebody is going to need. You know, I'm sure every pastor out there listening to this have had those conversations where maybe someone says to them, I just love this church because it's this size and I love it for being this size. And in your mind, you're thinking, 
Well, I'm kind of, I, I don't know if you know this, but I am hoping that we reach more people mm. and I hope you don't leave when and if that happens. Yeah. But the reality is that person, they might need a church of 30 people yeah. for a season in their lives and they might get lost in a church of 3000. And I think of those churches that are inside of urban centers mm. where you know, it's hard for them to even find facilities that could handle a church of 150 people. Yeah. yeah. And to be in a group like that, you'd kind of even, even just get lost. So they have to really drill down into having a church of 50 people or so mm. that know each other. They don't need a church of small groups because they are a small group. Right. You know, yeah. and like that, that's a beautiful form of ministry probably right alongside some other massive churches in that same city center. Yes. So we're all partnering together. And I think as much as we can strip ourselves from the fame addiction yeah. that so many in our generations have, I think the better. I think that's, that's beautiful, Nate. It's, it's so, it's so encouraging to put this in perspective and these these things that we're talking about about God being the one who does the work you know he's ultimately the ultimate gardener and and we're just the the, the under gardeners right the under shepherds coming alongside the process and helping I I think I think the pressure that pastors should put on themselves is to love their people <laughs> like mm. not the pressure to be the ultimate marketing guru who's going to take things to the next level, but to trust God with those things. And, and again, like there will be times where we have to put in work, but it should be work that's guided by the spirit and not by our ambition or by keeping up with the pastoral Joneses, I guess you would say. It's man, I, I remember this comes to mind as you're talking, but I remember when I was doing youth ministry, I was friends with a lot of different youth pastors in different denominations. I, I joined this Facebook group that exposed me to a ton of different people and different networks. And there was this one guy that I was talking to who was very much kind of like on that. He, he was of that mentality where it was all about putting on this big show. It was all about the lights and the music and the production and the numbers. And I remember, you know, he, he would have these packed out crowds and he would preach just so dynamically. But then one day he had a Wednesday night where there was barely any kids at his youth group and it just took the wind out of his sails. Like he did not know mm. how to reach people without that crowd, you know, giving him that feedback. And I saw that as like, this is a negative thing that has happened in his life because he's been, he's been valuing something that God never called him to value above actually shepherding. And then on, by contrast, I went to visit another youth pastor friend of mine out in Napomo, California. And I remember I had never been to his youth group before, so I didn't know what to expect, but he's a great guy. So I was expecting, you know, I, I was just, I was expecting something different than what I saw. His youth group was two kids and they were meeting in like the back of a school bus. And I was there with him on that Sunday and he preached to those two kids like he was preaching to a crowd of 600 people, not, not that he was like yelling at them, but just the right. amount of passion and love that went into that sermon. I was just blown away. And I was like, this guy gets it. Like, he's not like, oh, I'm, I'm building my platform and then I'll really give my all. He's like, this is who's God's given me two kids. All right. I'm going to give them everything I have. And I just, I thought that was so beautiful. it's 
any, any pastor who's really in touch with themselves is able to confess that it's, it can be an issue mm. at times to maintain that spirit. You know, that's what we're, we, we want this. We'd love to be free of the numbers trap and putting that pressure on ourselves or assessing our ministries based on the external metrics, you know, that, that people so often glob onto, mm. but We've got to have conversations like these. We've got to read articles like these. We've got to read books like these. Not as a way to say, because I, I, I don't totally agree that it's just all about faithfulness mm. and not fruitfulness in any way. I think the Lord wants us to be working for fruitfulness in his field and to be thinking about it and all of that. But what, what is that? What does that look like? It's just a balance and attention. Like, can, can yeah. you break down from your experience what does that balance look like between like trusting God to just do the work and then the ambition to say, okay, I've got 20 people at my church, but I'd love to see it at a hundred, you know, um, mm -hmm. where do you balance the question of, is God calling me to this? Is this just my ego? Am I just comparing myself to other pastors and I want to look better and I hate going to a conference. And when someone asks me how, how many people you have in your church, I just, I feel like a dog with my tail between my legs saying it's 20. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, how do you balance that? How, how do you navigate that? For me, I, I think that's such an individualized question, Aaron, because mm -hmm. I'm one way I'm wired a certain way. I I'm not one of these guys who needs a big pep talk about working hard or, you know, putting in the hours mm -hmm. or being mm -hmm. devoted or anything like that. But there, there would be some where that is their weakness. Mm -hmm. You know, th their weakness would be more of, man, I, I just struggle to have a strong work ethic. I, I struggle to really press in. I struggle to be thinking about the ministry. I just kind of want to chill mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. For me, my struggle is more leans in the direction of, being tempted to make it happen, mm. you know, and, you know, being drawn to the business world and mm. the current thinkers there and how, what are, what's Apple doing and how are they going to get it done? And how oh, that's how I should get it done, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So I think in a sense, it kind of depends on, well, who, who am I talking to? Mm. You know, I I've noticed in recent years, you know, when I first started having a little bit more of a voice in Calvary Chapel, I was speaking upwards a lot mm. because I was younger and a lot of the pastors were older. Mm. And I noticed that that generation seemed to really like have a struggle with being overworked and mm. not Sabbathing and not taking days off, not, never going on vacation, yeah. you know, kind of just like dying in the pulpit and working <laughs> these massive 70 hour a week um, yeah. weeks and all of that. And they needed encouragement to like, hey, man, like maybe you should take like a non-emergency, non-punitive sabbatical every <laughs> once in a while, you know, <laughs> just like you did a good job you for a number of years and it's great for you to reset your brain and have a break. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, I've noticed that I, I think that that message is appropriate for everybody in every generation. But I have noticed that people that are coming up after me, maybe that boomer kind of work ethic is not as much of a struggle. And yeah. 
the the tendency to get your identity from what you do isn't as strong. And I praise God for that. I think yeah. that's a great value of millennials and Gen Z is to not put so much of who they are into their work. But as pastors, there is an element of that where we have to adopt and say, no, this is the mantle that God has given to me. It's not me finding my identity in it, but this is who God has made me to be. So I need to really work hard. So I, that's a long way of saying, I think it depends on who I'm talking to in the moment when I talk about how to navigate that. But the word I would use to to basically answer the question is, I think it's always a tension. Mm. There's always a, 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 a tension between what is the work that I need to do right now in this church to help us get better, reach people better, uh, minister to people better, see them complete in Christ better versus trusting him, trusting the process, trusting that he's meeting them right where they're at. I think for me, it's just whenever I cross the line into that icky feeling of, Ugh, I just compromised a little bit to, to, and went into like the flesh kind of, I'm going to make it happen territory. That's when I, I feel like I got to repent yeah. and kind of get clean and walk away and, and all of that. So mm. I think it depends on who you're talking to. That's a very good, I think, well-rounded answer though, that I think addressed a lot of different things. I think it's going to hit a lot of different people in different ways. And I think that's good. You know, bringing up the whole generational thing, you're, you're Gen X, right? Yeah. So I'm a millennial. Yeah, I'm on the tail end of Gen X. Nice. Yeah. I think I'm yeah, smack- the slacker generation. <laughs> Dude, I have, I don't get that vibe. I, I look up to Gen X guys so much, honestly, like as a millennial, I can't speak for my entire generation, but I, I think what sure. I, I think what I can say is I think that we've gotten better at not, it's like, I think we've rebelled a little bit against that workaholic structure where it's like imposed, like it's like this you know, rule, like if you become the senior pastor, it's like everyone's got to work super hard and never take a vacation. Like, I think we've rebelled against that. But I do think that I think that for us, it's we want to make a difference like and that that's even in you know social sciences, yeah. like outside of the church, just with millennials yep. in general, our generation really wants to feel like our lives matter and that we're making a difference. And so I've experienced in my own life and I've talked to my peers who are millennial pastors as well. There is that workaholism that creeps in where it's it's not like anyone's imposing it on us, but it's self-imposed because it's like, I want what I do to matter and I don't want to feel like a failure. And then most of us, if we're honest, and I talk to tons of guys who are in this place as well, a lot of us are pastor's sons. We're third generation Calvary guys. And we're constantly comparing ourselves where it's like when my dad was my age, this is what he had done. And this is yeah. how many people were in yeah. his church. And this is how many missions trips he went on and how many kids and houses and all. You know what I mean? Like there's that comparison. And so I, I think there is still that danger of workaholism in our generation. I think it just manifests differently. And so mm. messages like these from from, you know, guys like you, Gen X and, and boomers who are saying, hey, slow down, trust the Lord, like do your best. It's like that old Keith Green song, right? Do your best, but let Jesus take care of the rest. It's not either mm. or, it's both and. Do your best, yeah. but let Jesus take care of the rest. Amen. Yeah, amen. Let, let me ask you this. I'm not a pastor at a church right now. I, I operate pastorally in some in different contexts outside of, you know, being a leader of a church. Um, sure. 
But let's say I was a pastor of a church because I'm speaking for people who are either currently young pastors or maybe they're thinking about being young pastors. So we're, t- we're talking about growth and you're saying you should strive for growth in some ways. Like you, you can't, you can't completely write that out. Here's the approach I've come to. And I'm asking you as like a friend and a mentor, like, tell me if I'm off. Like, tell me if you think I, if, if you were giving me advice right now, like just pastor, pastor, here, here's where I'm, la- I'm landing on this stuff. When it comes to growth, I think everybody should want to see growth numerically because that's more people getting affected. So that, that should be a want. It shouldn't be the main driving force of everything you do, but it should be a want. But I think before any focus goes to growing numerically, I think the focus needs to start with growing depth and spiritually in your own life, in your marriage, and with the people that God has given you to minister to. The growth you should focus on first and foremost is like, okay, my like I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. I've got this group of 20 kids. I want them to like have depth. I want them to understand the scriptures. I want them to understand theology. I want them to have this rich relationship with Jesus. And if I'm putting 80% of my effort into that, and then like whatever effort is left over goes to trying to grow numerically, I think that's more balanced. Because I, when I see the flip-flop where it's like all this focus on growing numerically, but then no one's getting discipled, that's where I see churches fall apart and pastors burn out. Mm. What do you think? Like, am I off here? Give me some advice. Yeah. Yeah. So my opinion is that if you're 80-20 in the direction of we got to grow, my opinion is that that's not really the church I want to have anyways, because mm-hmm. more often than not, what that growth is going to mean is we got people from other churches to come to our church. I Transference mean, that's growth. Basically, yeah, that's basically what it's going to be. Unless you're a church plant where it's just brand new, it's you and, you know, 12 of your close friends and you're like, let's go rock this city. <laughs> then, you know, maybe it'll be half new believers and half, you know, people from other churches or disenfranchised Christians or people who have been kind of wayward for a little bit who are getting back to things. Yeah. But yeah, for me, the second that I make that the focus things just get wonky. Mm. Uh, for me, the the line that I hear quite often when I'm thinking about these things is the line, you take care of the depth and I'll take care of the breadth. Mm. You know, so the Lord just saying to me, hey, your responsibility here is primarily a depth based responsibility. Mm. So those 20 kids in that youth group, Your goal is to make them the best loved, best fed group of kids that is around. Mm. You want them to be able to weather graduation from high school and on into college because they're on a firm foundation. You want to teach them the basic tenets of the faith. You want to help them be able to answer the difficult questions that are coming their way. These are depth oriented things that just take stinking time to produce. We're not in, uh, I think we could be in a revival culture someday soon, but we're not in one right now. And we're also not in a time where the backdrop of people's like standard operating procedure of living is a Judeo Christian kind of ethic where you could just kind of see someone come into the church, not know Jesus, get saved. And their lives kind of look like, all right. 
you know, within a few weeks. Right. Because they gave up the drugs and they stopped sleeping with their girlfriend or whatever. And everything else is like kind of in line with scripture. Yeah. We live in a time where a lot of people's lives are just totally out of step with the word. Yep. So that just takes a lot of time and energy and it's very parental. Mm. So that's a depth oriented focus. Mm. I believe that we could potentially throw 100% of our efforts into that and growth would happen because those people would reproduce yes. they'd be reaching people That's you know the, goal. the the old adage that healthy sheep beget healthy sheep there's a beautiful truth there yeah and i i think too one thing that can be really important for us in ministry to get is every, everything you just said when you get to that point where it's like the focus is on depth i'm making disciples i'm teaching them what it looks like to be an evangelist, like how to preach the gospel with friends, with strangers, with family members, and then to realize some of the fruit of your ministry may not be manifested in your local church. It may not end up with more butts in the seat, basically, but it may end up with your people out in their world and environment, like building the kingdom of God outside of the the context of your local church. And I, I just think... Yeah, man, you've you've given us so much good stuff to think about. I I really appreciate it. For me, Aaron, a lot of just in my context, the growth oriented work that I do, it it has to do not with trying to make it happen, Hmm. but being ready for when God is doing it. Yes. So, for instance, just to talk about a real practical example right now, our church facility it's showing its age in some of the places on campus as happens throughout a church facility. You know, you just kind of shape things as time goes on. So we have parts of our facility that are super nineties, parts (laughs) that are super early two thousands and parts that are like the 2010s. Nice. And we're making an effort right now this year to bring everything to like a base level where it all looks uniform like you might want to just in your own home you know kind of thing Mm. well for me the why of that is so important if the why of all that is because we want to have the glossiest most attractional edgiest thing that people will see and say oh this is a cool space I love being in cool spaces because it makes me feel cool about myself. (laughs) Uh, Then that's just so besides the point. I couldn't care less. (laughs) But for me, what I want is when I'm up there teaching the word or we're talking about our small group ministry and encouraging people to get involved or talking about our discipleship groups and encouraging people to get involved. When we're making these invitations, I realize that that takes a measure of trust Mm. for people to say yes to those on ramps that will help them grow. Mm. And one of the ways for me that I think a modern mind grows in trust is when they walk into a space and they intuitively know Oh, these people like kind of thought about everything. Right. So if, if they thought about this space, then they probably thought about like, I don't know, having a background check for my kid's teacher. Right. And so I trust them and I will, you know, they're not saying that in their minds, but it's like a background thing that I think happens as a new parent. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's, that's always for me, the, the goal is Mm. I want to kind of like create 
railroad track for someone to hop on and then be able to to follow a path in to to growth. And whenever I see something in our church that just feels like an obstacle to someone being able to grow, then that's what I get after Mm. and try to correct. So again, it's not like just sitting back and just saying, you know, I'm just going to like have coffee with as many people as I can possibly have. <laughs> right. it, there's leadership oriented stuff that's engaged in it yeah. to try to minister to as many people as possible. But the goal is not so that I can have butts in the seat. Yeah. The goal is so that they can grow as a person. I love that. It, it's putting effort into it. But if if it's like you, you can have two different targets in your mind that are going to control the trajectory of how you move. And if the target is me, 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 me getting a bigger platform, because in the back of your mind, it's like, oh, because then more people will be reached for Jesus if I have the biggest platform imaginable. If that's your end game, that's going to affect so much of your trajectory. But if it's if your end game, if the goal that you're looking at is, People being loved well, people being served well, people being blessed, people being encouraged, people feeling safe here and like this is where my family is. If that's your your goal and, and if the even deeper goal beyond that is is Jesus, is pointing people to Jesus and making him known, that's that's gonna be a really good trajectory. Let me ask you this. You are a guy who has written books and blog posts and you've had other things outside of your normal local pastoral work that have made you a little less anonymous. Can you share your perspective on that? You know, because we're, we're talking a lot about the small local anonymous work, but how can a pastor balance the call to anonymity to live this quiet and humble life tending the flock in front of him? while also having ambitions to reach a wider audience through things like writing or podcasting or other media, what, what encouragement or guidance would you give? Yeah. Well, I think if you could see my book sales and web traffic (laughs) numbers, you, (laughs) you might think you might think differently. I feel like the concept of anonymous pastoral work applies to those things as well, because there's always a bigger fish out there, right? You know, there's always, there's always the author that you look up to. There's, there's always the unattainable, you know? So I, I, I resonate with this concept, even though I've been able to do some of those things, but for me, it comes down to the why, why are you doing those things? So, yeah. So for me, I've, you know, personally just kind of had to take a step back and ask the question, God, how how have you designed me? Mm. And You know, for me, when I was 18 years old, unlike probably any other moment in my life, I had an encounter with God where I heard the words, I've not called you to those other things. I've called you to teach my word. Mm. And it was like a lightning bolt into my heart. And as the years have gone by, God has really fleshed that out for me and shown me what that looks like. But it's always been a great North Star mm. for me to know that that's a major part of what I'm supposed to be about. I know every pastor, of course, is called to share the word. But I think that for me, I've wanted to be the kind of pastor that maybe could help out other pastors as well as they're teaching the word. Yeah. 
One of my hopes and desires, I love seeing when my nateholdrich.com website traffic goes up on Saturdays <laughs> because that means that there's some brothers out there who mm. are putting the finishing touches on their sermons for Sunday. Yes. And if there's anything I could say or write or communicate that would help them out, like that just gives me so much joy yeah. in serving the Lord. So mm. knowing what your lane is, you know, like I, I, I love reading Right. So I, I'm exposed to so many great works in in uh, among Christian authors and a lot of them just write stuff that like I could just never write. You know, they, they've they've put together these topical, you know, framework for various concepts or these apologetics books that are like, I mean, I just love Rebecca McLaughlin stuff over the last couple of years or, you know, just these beautiful pieces and I look at those things and, you know, I get tempted, like, maybe I should try to, maybe I should try to do those things. Maybe I should try to write that stuff. And I just know, no, that's not me. Yeah. God's called me to teach the word. So for me, writing is going to be another form mm -hmm. of getting that mission done that God has given to me. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever sitting back going, well, probably like a next step for me, if I'm going to level up as a pastor is I got to come out with a book, Right. Well, <laughs> forget it, man. Like. If God gives you a heart yeah. to say something, then yes, exactly. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and so it's, it comes back to the why. It's saying something because you have something to say versus saying something because you feel this pressure to say something in order to escalate up the ladder. And, and that's a real thing, man. Like I've seen guys where it's like, hey, like you're a pretty good preacher. Like you need to write a book. Cause if you don't write a book, you're not going to get asked to speak at conferences. And if you don't speak at conferences, you can't do this and you can't do that. And it's like this very capitalistic market minded yep. thing. And, and it, I just, I hate it, man. Like I've seen, I've seen people that I know and love like burn out because they tried to become Christian celebrities and yep. it just devoured them. And it's, it's caused me to like want to run in the opposite direction, you know, <laughs> like, and almost go hide in a cave, but there's a struggle, man. Like, and I know, like I, I resonated with the article a ton because even though, again, I'm not, you know, a senior pastor of a church or even a youth pastor at a church anymore, I still consider myself a pastor. And the work of this podcast has been, in, in my opinion, it's been overwhelmingly pastoral because my heart in starting this podcast and running it the way I have with my co-host and he who was another former youth pastor has been wanting to shepherd people as best as we can to like put as much effort into some of our theological deep dive and conversational episodes as we would into sermons. And but the 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 anonymous nature of it at times in the last four years has been soul crushing because I live in Oklahoma like no one from my old life and church network lives out here and doing what I do here, a lot of times it feels like working really hard to like put together this manuscript, you know, cause I'm, I record these things, but I also edit them and produce them and I do all that on my own. So it's like putting it in a bottle and then throwing it out in the ocean and being like, <laughs> I hope this helps somebody, you know what I mean? And I know that that's how so many people feel. I've talked to guys where they put their, like just so much of their heart and passion into this book that they wrote. And then like no one's buying it except for like, you know, 50 people around the world. And, and it, it can be so hard to be like, is it worth it? You know, is this hard mm. work of doing this anonymous work worth it? 
Because then you see on social media, the way that the world presents influence through social media influencers is the more people you have who follow you, the more you deserve to be heard and the more valuable what you say is. That's that's the metric of the world to the point where we have, you know, even pastors these days, some of them buying fake social media followers in order to build that platform, that fake platform. So then, you know, fake it till you make it. It's like, I've got to build this fake giant platform first and then people will pay attention to what I have to say. And it's just, it's destructive, man. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> I, I had this thought the other day, it was the Super Bowl and this ad came on for that show, The Masked Singer. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen this show, but I've, you know, seen the ads for it and all of that. And I, I just had the thought, I just said, I just had the thought, welcome to America where that's what we produce. Like we like this, this is popular. Mm. And I just thought, how dumb is chasing popularity if that's what people actually like? Like, I just don't think I've got what it takes to be the popular thing if we've got people that are pursuing that kind of that kind of content. Mm. So I don't know. I, to me, it's just an empty pursuit. It's not it's not the point of what we're doing here in ministry. And, you know, I've I've, I've kind of started out in ministry right and i remember when my kids in the youth group were like all getting myspace pages you know and it was like <laughs> oh, oh man, man what is this you know and so MySpace i've been kind of along the for best. the ride yeah it was the best <laughs> but I, i've been along for the ride just kind of like watching all these things take off and seeing how you know some pastors have done a great job at really like leveraging it for the kingdom and then you know, others where it just feels a little more to me, at least of a, like, look at me, look at me, look at me kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we have to take a step back sometimes and ask ourselves, like, what kind of person is being produced who's feeding on this kind of content constantly? Are, are they growing? Are, are they being transformed? So I guess that's why I give the masked singer illustration. It's like, are these great music aficionados coming out of that show? You know, people who like have a deep appreciation for really good music <laughs> or is it something else, you know? And yeah. so if the people following what I'm doing online are just basically like coming away with the bottom line message of, oh, I just love that guy. Yeah. He's so cool. He's so whatever. Well, what is that really produced? It's cotton candy, man. Yeah, it's it's, it's not really produced anything real. But if they're coming away with like, wow, I I never thought about the Lord that way, or I never had that insight before, or man, that so encouraged me in my faith, mm. or thank you for the vulnerability, like that really resonated with me. Like those types of things are, can be powerful, yeah. you know, they can't replace the in-person, you know, kind of ministry. But I think it, you have to really take a look at like, what are you putting, putting out there? Yeah. I think it's really, that's really wise. That's really encouraging. I'm taking so many <laughs> mental notes because I think a lot of us millennial guys struggle with figuring out how to do this right. So this has been a really, and, and yeah. I, I think I just want to add too, Aaron, like for, for anybody out there, I, I just want you to know, like, you don't have to do this stuff, right? You know, if, if you're pastoring in a local context, like 
there's no line in the Bible that says you need to have like a banging <laughs> internet presence. You know, right. there, there's not that that's just not there. You know, for me, like I got to a point, you know, when Instagram was kind of first getting rolling, I got on there and was having a good time or whatever, but I just found that it started stealing my joy yeah. and like being present. Yeah. And I, I read a book that I've probably read seven or eight times since then called margin by Dr. Richard Swenson. And I just realized like this stuff is taking all the little gaps in my life yes. that I could be hearing from the Lord or in a conversation with someone next to me or with my wife or my children or someone in, in our church or reading a good book. And I just realized like, no, I'm out. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm out. I, I do have an Instagram account today, but I don't, I, I don't run it. You know, it's just right. someone else who's, who's on our team who says, we think it'd be good to have some clips of your teachings out there. So, okay. You know, why don't you guys do that? Yeah. I don't want to be involved in it. I don't want to be interacting that way. And that's, I don't have a conviction that that should be true for everyone, but I'm just thinking about the person out there listening to this today. Who's maybe thinking, gosh, this delegate tension, I got to get it. I need to walk that line. Like yeah. also maybe it's just not for you and you should feel free to disengage if you need to. That is very freeing. And it it's honestly, it's very personal to me, the advice that you're giving, because it's something I've wrestled through. And, and I know it, it's kind of a different, it's a different scenario for senior pastors and then guys like me who are younger youth pastor and now guys like me who are kind of in that weird space of like, I'm a pastor, but I don't work at a church and I'm kind of running my own parachurch ministry thing on the side. It's like what I'm used to from back in the days when I did youth ministry, and this is what most youth pastors I know go through, is the senior pastor, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, but the senior pastor has a team. They have a staff that are helping them do a ton of different things social media and video content and website and all that stuff. And my experience and a lot of the guys I know who are younger, who do youth ministry is you're kind of running a small church within a church, but like you don't have a staff. So you have to do all of that stuff on your own. So I had to learn like how to do the social media and how to do, design the website and how to record the video content and upload it to the server and all that stuff. And so in, in the recent season I've been in, because I consider myself a pastor. I feel called to ministry. I don't want to give that up. I'm not going to go just get a normal job, but I don't feel called to work at a church right now. I don't feel called to plant a church. So I've been in this weird space where I've been trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, I was doing this podcast and I was seeing fruit from it. Like I was seeing God really bless it and really grow it. And I would hear, I would get letters and emails from people who were like, Hey, I'm a young youth pastor and this is really helping me. Or I'm a young adult. This is really helping me grow. And then it was like me and my co-hosts were like, well, maybe we should do video. And we took like, there's like a six month period where we were trying to do video and dude, it like wrecked me because I was on top of producing this show, like filming, editing, trying to upload, hmm. going on YouTube. And it's like, how many people watch this week? Oh, 12 people like, cool. <laughs> this is, <prob> <laughs> I just killed myself for that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but, but it was like the, the pressure I was feeling was like, well, this is just what you do. 
Like you need to have mm. a banging social media presence. Like yep. get on that. Like you need to start posting. And I'd have friends who were like, Aaron, like, you know, because in the past I had written things on social media that people told me like, hey, this really helped me. So then that was more pressure I put on myself where it's like, well, I, it was kind of like, I felt like I had to be every successful version of myself I had been in the past now. All at the same all time. All at the same time. <laughs> and then I had my son. And this has already been a lesson that God has long been teaching me through this this four-year process of being out here in the wilderness of Oklahoma is what I call it. But when I had my son, the Lord really spoke to me and was like, if the only thing you accomplish at the end of your life is being a good dad and then having been a really good youth pastor at one point, like, that's enough, you know? Just focus on what I've given Amen. you. I've given you a son. I've given you this ministry here through this podcast. And if God wants to grow it, like he'll bring more people alongside. Side note advertisement, if you're listening and you like to edit podcasts or do social media or anything, <laughs> let me know because we need help. But I've been learning to let go of that pressure to be everything to everyone at all times and just say, what does God want me to do this week? Who does he want me to focus on this week? And and I'm actually even, no one really knows about this, but it's happening next month. I'm I'm moving into a space that I've been longing for for years now, which is local ministry out here in Oklahoma. And it's going to be small mm. and it's going to be intimate. It's going to be a young adults ministry with two different churches working together to build a school of discipleship. I'm very excited about it. And I'm, I'm looking at it where it's like, I don't care if five people show up. <laughs> like, I just want to love them and I just want to point them to Jesus. And I feel like the season I've been through doing this ministry, the animidity of it has really taught me the, the, the lessons I needed to learn before stepping back into a local ministry context. Yeah. Well, you're going to, I think you're going to fly in that context. <laughs> I know that's right in line with your heart. And I, I think that's just so well said, Aaron, because, you know, when it comes to the faithfulness, fruitfulness thing, mm. you do want to, to consider what do I have at my disposal with which to be faithful? And I think the interesting thing is that it probably comes a little more second nature to a lot of pastors in their flesh and blood, four walls of the church building, if they have one in their physical congregation to ask the question, who am I? What resources are at my disposal? What giftings do I have? Where am I in the, you know, whatever personality profile or a pest test or Enneagram right, number, right. like what am I, how has God designed me? Am I prophet, priest, King, you know, what, like all of that stuff, you make those assessments and then you try to engineer your decisions, your life, your calendar to reflect yeah. who you are and then bring people around you, raise people up around you who can compliment you in your areas of weakness. But for some reason, it seems like we have a harder time doing that in the online space. We don't take as much of a hard look at who am I and what can I do? We instead just say, here's what other people are doing. I guess I need to do all of those things. You know, for me, man, I, I took a look at my situation. I consider myself so incredibly blessed. Like, I like to say every good thing I have in my life, somebody gave to me, mm. you know, mm. it's just the gospel. You know, I, I was given salvation. Yeah. I was 
given opportunities to serve Jesus. I was given ministry opportunities. I was given a great church to lead. I I feel God gave me the home that I have. And I have this like incredible setup Mm. where to me, it's like God. I mean, I, I can walk to my local airport to hop on a plane and it takes like five minutes to go through security. It's just one of those little podunk airports. That's awesome. Stuff like that. I look at it and I realize, okay, God, I think you have put me in a little spot like this because you want me to be faithful with all that stuff. So if there's like a men's conference you want me to speak at, if there's books you want me to write to help these guys that are out there, I need to be faithful with that because you've given me that kind of like bandwidth and opportunity. I'm not in a ministry where I'm like in the hood, just like (laughs) dealing with gangbangers, you know, left and right, just like pulling them out of the fire where it's like, write something. Shout out to Aaron Campbell. Yeah, exactly. It's (laughs) like, man, I, I mean, and he's got a fantastic book and I'm just like, bro, how did you, I mean, he's just a brilliant guy. That's how he did it. But you know, just realizing like I have the bandwidth for things that maybe someone else doesn't have that luxury. So I need to be faithful with what God has given to me. So asking that question about the stuff that you're doing that would have a further reach than just your local church, I think is important. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. And it's, it's all, it all comes back to taking that burden and pressure off of yourself to save the world and instead just put pressure on yourself to ask, what does God want? You know? Yeah. I remember I I had gone through a a season of where a lot of stuff that I was saying on social media was getting a lot of traction. Like people were responding to it and I was doing it from like a very like altruistic, you know, if I'm just being self honest, like nothing. And it was like trying to build a platform. It was just like, I have a burden. I have a passion. I've got to say stuff about what's going on. And I remember then I started to feel that burden where it's like, well, I have to say something about everything because that's what people are expecting from me now. And I remember um, Mm. when we were going through all that stuff in the world about George Floyd, I started writing some things and God just kind of spoke to me and was like, hey, the stuff you're writing, it's good, but like save it for one on one conversations, like save Mm. it with I've got I've got people that I want you to talk to, like, like save it for that. But you don't need to say something about everything. There's already a ton of people doing it. Like you need to start praying and asking me every time you feel inspired to get on social media and say something before you do, you need to start praying and ask, is this, is this what, what you want me to do with my time? Because maybe there's something else that you want me to do for the kingdom. And just, just to be real, like you start talking about what's going on in the world and social media and you better be ready to spend like three hours that night in the comment sections. And that's not good for my marriage. You know what I mean? Like for sure, <laughs> it's a sacrifice. So it's like, you, you have to weigh like, what is God ca- actually calling me to do with my time? And mm-hmm. I, I think once we realize that there's not this burden to be everything, but just to be specifically who God is calling us to be in this season of our life, and there's going to be different yeah. seasons and there'll be changes. Like, I don't think I'll always just be doing this podcast. You know, you'll probably, you probably, you know, won't be at Calvary Monterey for your entire life, maybe, but like maybe God will have something else for you another season. And so, yeah, I think, I think paying attention to those seasons and just being okay with those rhythms and, and just being like, I'm a part of the body. Like I'm not the hand. Yep. I'm a part of the hand. You know what I mean? I'm a mm. thumb. I'm a thumbnail. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like God will accomplish what he's doing in the world with or without me. And I just want to be stoked to be a part of it. 
Yeah. Even that, that little example you just used is so good, Aaron, from the standpoint of thinking through how we're designed, what God has made us for. Like there are some people who it's like water off their back to hop online and have some of those dialogue kind of conversations. Like you said, those three hours after you weigh in on something that you got to do the follow-up ministry and all of that. Oh yeah. For me, I'm like one of these guys where, you know, I might respond to a text like 48 hours later, <laughs> you know, it just takes me a while to like think through how am I going to respond to this? And if, if I was in that rapid fire kind of environment like I'm just not designed for that and and to know that about yourself I think is really important I I actually think I am designed for it but I think that my marriage is not designed for it yeah (laughs) if that makes sense seasons if I was a single guy I'll get on social media with you because I I do it in a way where I don't try to debate people I actually try to win people over (laughs) yeah I've seen your style and I love it oh well great (laughs) but yeah I mean there's been times dude where I've had somebody you know uh, leave a comment on a CGN post where it's like CGN is full of progressive liberal heretics. And then I'll get in a DM with them and I'll spend three hours with them trying to reason with them. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, this person had their mind made up to hate us like right from the start. Mm. And no amount of me doing my best to reason is going to change anything. So I, I've just had to learn to pick my battles and be like, yeah, does God want me to do this tonight or does God want me to be a good husband tonight? And I can only <laughs> pick one of those things. Um, and yeah. and I've, I've learned to be okay with that because my marriage is one of the most important ministries. And, and now my fathering is one of the yeah. most important ministries I could ever put my life into. Let me, let me, well, ask- you bring up a great nope. point before you ask me something <laughs> else. You, you, you bring up a great point because I think a lot of times with stuff like this, a great person, if you are a pastor who is married to ask is your wife. Yeah. Because a lot of times if you give her, if you've created a culture in your marriage where she can be honest with you and she's not just reading your face to try <laughs> to find the answer that she thinks you want yeah. her to say. Right. But if she feels safe speaking her mind and giving you her honest opinion, she's probably going to be one of the people who has the best view of what is sucking the life out of you mm. and is not healthy yeah. and is imbalanced and what is restorative and like you hmm. at your very best, hmm. you know? So you're just asking that question of your bride, like, Hey, what do you think? What do you think I should be focusing on right now? I've found is one of the gold mine yeah. kind of questions I can ask from time to time. That's so wise. Yeah. I, my, my wife has probably three different times in my life of ministry asked me, very politely, very sweetly, but asked me to scale back things that I was doing. And I can Mm. honestly say every time I listened to her, it ended up being a better thing for that ministry and for our life. You know what I mean? Like by, by scaling back and just being a little bit more focused on praying first and asking God, what do you actually want versus me just being ambitious and wanting to do what I want? It actually helped those ministries grow and thrive rather than me just running on fumes. So I'm very thankful for the wisdom of my wife and I probably need to ask her more like, Hey, let's, let's do a self-evaluation here. How am I doing? Wives are great. (laughs) I'm a fan. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Nate. I want to talk about the culture 
specifically within within Calvary, when it comes to this anonymous, this quest for anonymity and this quest for this quest for living this quiet, humble life of following Jesus, because I think sometimes the environment can make it difficult. And I, I'm speaking as a third generation Calvary guy. Like I feel growing up in the movement, like what happened with Chuck in the sixties was so stinking big and massive and world changing. And then I feel like the first generation Calvary guys were like riding the first and second generation Calvary guys. I feel like we're r- like riding that wave and everything always mm. felt so big and epic. And it was like, we're the, the continuation of the Jesus people movement. And I talked to a lot of guys who are my age, who are like third generation Calvary guys, a lot of pastor sons. And it's like, we just don't feel that. Like we feel this sense of continuation, but a lot of us are pastoring in really small churches and it can feel like you can just feel like a loser and you can feel like you're not doing enough and you can compare yourself and, and it just feels like, like anybody who ever gets platformed is somebody that had this big, crazy experience. And it's not like everybody wants to be platformed, but when you see the only people getting platformed are the ones that were a part of these big radical movements, it kind of puts it in your head where it's like, oh, well, what I'm doing isn't all that great and all that effective. And again, I don't pastor a church, but there's tons. I'm, I'm 34 now. There's tons of guys I know within Calvary who are my age, who are church planting right now. They took over for their dad's church. They're, you know, they're, they're in it. And, and I know that this is a, a sentiment a lot of them share because I talked to them about it. So can you, can yeah. you give any encouragement? Well, I would start by saying I so admire this generation that has taken the mantle right now because you are stepping into one of the most difficult, complex times of ministry mm-hmm. I think we've seen in a really long time. I mean, if I'm if I if I'm trying to pin our current moment in something that we've had in the past in our society, you'd have to pin it into those days when Chuck was trying to figure out can I even meet a hippie? You know, like I would just I would just really like to meet one, you know, kind of thing because there's just a, there's a grid with which current generations are looking at the world that is just so new and dangerous, obviously, in many ways, mm. and nuanced. And you guys are the, you're, you're the men for the job. You're the women for the job. Mm. You know, God has put you on the earth for such a time as this. He didn't apparently want you to be in the harvest book. He didn't <laughs> want you to be riding that wave. He he wanted you to have influence during this particular time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it necessarily looks big, you know, unless the spirit just breaks out with crazy revival like he did in that time, you know, so many years ago. I think the ingredients are there for something powerful like that to occur, you know, but it's just a very different gene time for the guys that are pastoring pre-existing churches, you know, that have assumed leadership of a Calvary. My encouragement to you guys is to slow and steady 
lead within mm. the con- context that God has placed you in. Mm. It's not really going to be about all the external stuff, though there will be plenty of external things that you'll be called to address things like the music, the worship, the aesthetics, the graphics, you know, stuff like that. You, you do have to tell people, no, we don't do clip art anymore. We get graphic (laughs) designers. Like you, you do have to have those conversations. I was just talking to a guy yesterday, a local pastor who wanted to pick my brain about a couple of things. And one of the things I shared with him was just, Hey, when, when I first got going, I thought that the stuff that I saw, everyone saw it. But uh, over time, I realized that that wasn't the case. I had to verbalize really specific things that needed to be touched and addressed. But what I'm trying to say to mm-hmm. the guys that we're talking to today is not just, hey, pay attention to all the aesthetics and all that kind of stuff. You know, we've all heard those lectures before. What I'm trying to say is there's a culture within your congregation that just takes years Mm. to shape, Mm. but just keep going, keep raising up leaders, hold fast, stick to your guns of what you know is important. And you're going to see a a change occur in that congregation. Uh, It might take a number of years. I remember when I assumed leadership of our church, I'd always heard that like magic three year number, you know, like just stick it out for three years and then you can really go for it. And I don't know, I got to year five or six and started feeling like I was starting to get some bandwidth to be able to make some, some changes and actually exert more influence. And then at that 10 year mark, that's when I really began feeling like, you know, I can, I can really lead at, at this point, you know, they say that if a pastor makes it through 10 years without a scandal and is just faithful after 10 years, you can kind of just ask for whatever you want at that <laughs> point, you know, because people are ready to roll. If on day three or month two, you tell them like, we're going to do this and we're going to build that and we're going to try this, you know, they're all rolling their eyes and just kind of going, all right, well, we'll see what actually happens. So put in the work, but man, I, to me, Aaron, like I know a lot of people really bemoan the time that we're in and pine for something in the past or whatever. But to me, these are the most exciting times to be a Christian. And I think part of the reason I feel that way is because, um, It's basically a time where you either are one or you aren't one. Yeah. You know, there's no like there's no slippery middle anymore, you know, so I that excites me. It excites me to live in a time where like, dude, you're either going to as a as a young person, you're either going to like really throw yourself into the body of Christ or you're just going to get annihilated. You know, like you can't just kind of like cruise by with like a, you know, a, a college ministry pit stop here or there like you gotta you need a whole new community if you're even going to survive yeah so i to me that's exciting i don't know how you feel about it but these are exciting times and and i'm glad god put me on the earth for this yes yeah no i mean that resonates with me so much on a personal level it speaks directly into kind of what I'm about to step into with this whole school of discipleship thing out here. Yeah. Because when I first came to Oklahoma, 
I, I brought my California youth ministry mentality. We did a ton of street witnessing in California because we had all these beach towns like Encinitas where it's like very spiritual and everyone's very open and, you know, new age and Buddhist and they're searching. So street witnessing went great in beach towns in California because everyone was so open minded and, mm. and a lot of people were secular. I came out to Oklahoma and I remember my first month here, I kept hitting the streets to try to witness and everyone was like, oh, like, praise Jesus, come to my potluck. My church is putting one on right. Like er everyone culturally out here is a Christian, like everybody basically. Yeah. So I, I was like, well, what do I do? And, and now with the school of discipleship thing, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, well, we live in this postmodern, post-Christian culture. And even in Oklahoma, where it's like everyone kind of identifies, it's like, well, when you really peel back the layers, there's real true Christ following. And then there's just going to church to make grandma happy. And so what, what I'm really looking forward to is getting together with young adults and just saying, let's talk about what it actually means to be a Christ follower. Like, what is a disciple? And, and can we, you know, it's a year long program that we're building, but it's like, can we give you the tools where it's like, you're not looking at this one year program to like m turn you into a disciple. It's like, no, what we're trying to do is to give them tools where the rest of their life, they can make the hard decision to get up every day and say, I am a disciple. Cause I don't think mm -hmm. anyone can disciple you. I think you have to be a disciple. You know what I mean? It's not, it's mm -hmm. not a verb. It's a noun. <laughs> So you, mm. you have to choose. And to me, that's a big part of what pastoral work is. And an anonymous, hard, grueling, lonely at times pastoral work is it's the hard work of just planting those seeds of discipleship in people's hearts and just trusting that God is going to do the work to water that stuff. And so, man, this has been so good, man. I, you, you know, this is, a, this is a good interview because you're, you're a very good interview uh, Nate, because in just the natural progression of the conversation, you were hitting all of the things I was going to ask before I even asked them. And so that's, I think the sign of a good, uh, a good interview, man. You, uh, <laughs> you've got it dialed in, man. I appreciate you so much. So can you talk about just to close us out this line from Wendell Berry's poem, you will work many days. No one will ever see their record is the place. Can you, can you get into that concept, the, the concept of the record of your work being the place that you work? And maybe, maybe we can close out with that idea. Yeah. I um, recently had our kind of year-end leadership gathering with the folks at Calvary Monterey. You know, our team of leaders who they love the church, they're praying for the church, they're laboring in the field with me. And I shared that line with them and said, Hey, how do you know that a, a farmer exists? Hmm. Well, because the farm is still there. Hmm. Once a farmer is gone, the land goes back to its natural state within a few seasons, hmm. you know, hmm brush begins to grow, trees begin to grow, and everything reverts back to its natural state. And I just found myself celebrating with them the win of, guys, we're still here. Mm. You know, we're still here as a church that loves Jesus, is preaching the word, mm. is 
centered around the gospel is making disciples. And that at, at some points like that is not just enough. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we're still here. The farm is still here. Yeah. And, uh, I think for me, like I, I would love for that to be so much more worthy of our celebration yeah, and so much more highly celebrated than always feeling this sense of progress. Like yeah. progress mm. is what is celebra celebrated and going back to the Wendell Berry paradigm. That was the struggle as he saw it was a farming community that was raised up that was all about doing whatever had to be done to make progress yeah. versus those who had a different kind of thing. He has two characters that he juxtaposes in his book. One is the older generation farmer who he describes his farm as having buffers at the end of each the corner of the crops that things are just kind of growing out and his fence is always well painted and his animals, his donkeys are healthy and everything is just orderly and taken care of. Mm. But then his son-in-law begins to take over the property and he expands and the buildings begin to get run down. He's going into the forest to try to till every last ounce of land that he possibly can because it's all done in the name of progress. Yeah. And I, I just read that story and thought, oh, I know the kind of church I want to have. Yeah. I want to have the kind of church that is just healthy, strong, vital, isn't straining itself to try to just make progress, yeah. but is growing beautiful, beautiful fruit, the good old fashioned hard, slow way. So if you're in a church and it's still there and disciples are still being made, rejoice. Yeah, We know a farmer is there because you've done the work. The church still exists and we praise the Lord for that. Amen, man. Amen. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Seriously, it this has been great. I, I've just been absorbing the wisdom and encouragement and I, I think it's going to be a huge blessing to a lot of a lot of people listening. So thanks, Nate. Absolutely, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it, man. Thanks for listening to the Good Lion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find our show. The show is brought to you by Calvary Global Network, a family of churches working together to proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. It's produced by me, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins, and is a part of Good Lion Ministries. Our goal is to help young Christians navigate the postmodern, post-Christian age. We create podcasts, sermons, videos, and resources to help people on their journey in the way of Jesus. To check out our resources, visit our website at goodlion.org. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to seek and follow the God who is not safe, but is very, very good.